Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And the closer we get to Synod, the messier things are getting. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We're also dropping a new series, Prepare for Synod, with me every single Thursday from now all the way up until Synod, so make sure to check those out as well. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us over on Patreon. We are slowly working our way toward our modest goal of 20 subscribers at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Greg Hukuma. So uh, we've already kind of jumped into some of the uh, concerns or, or frustrations at a denominational level. So what are some of the things you're seeing right now, Craig, that are concerning in the CRC or, or even frustrating, if you want to use that language? Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, our weaknesses are quite often going to be our strengths that have gone too far or gone off the rails in some way. So, um, I mean, one reality for, I think, why we are where we are on the issue of sexuality, but probably others as well, um, is that we are a denomination that has not been content to just sort of, even though there are examples of this in our history, by and large, I think the the transformationalists among us have have said, we're not just going to circle the wagons. We're going to engage our culture. We're going to be culturally competent. We're going to be culturally engaged. Um, and that the temptation then is to want to be at home in the world, to want the world's admiration, to want the world's appreciation. Um, and then culture is a really, really powerful thing. Um, and gospel proclamation can get sidetracked for doing good works or social justice or whatever you want to call it. Not that those two things can't be healthily connected, but um, they can also be divorced from each other. Discipleship can get sidetracked for, you know, just kind of being nice people, being welcoming, being an open community um, and, you know, laying down the rules and saying, but here's what Christ calls us to. And here's where our church stands. Well, that seems kind of mean and kind of exclusionary. So I think culture is just a really powerful thing. And that's a part of it's a part of our reality. Um, I think another one of our our weaknesses as a denomination, by and large, is that we have been. We have been great with word ministry in the church and on the mission field. Uh, we have not been as good at word ministry in our own neighborhoods and local contexts outside of the church. Um, you know, we all we all love that quote from St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel. And if you have to use words, I think most of us hear that and we go, phew, that means I only have to use words if I absolutely if it's absolutely necessary. Um, and I think uh, I think that's that would be a, a, a growth area for for me, for sure, 
and for most Christian Reformed churches to really learn how to do word ministry in a, a local a local context. Um, one of the things I'm doing on my sabbaticals, I'm putting together a course on, uh, or at least putting together something that I can use with my congregation to talk about, um, yeah, just some practical ways to do a better job of, of evangelism. Um, so there you go, building our own curriculum. Um, mm-hmm. but hopefully drawing from, from the thoughts of a lot of other wise people. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, Tim Keller talks a lot about this, but a lot of, a lot of missiologists are talking about the fact that Christendom is over and the, um, the whole come and join us model of missions, or if you build it, they will come model of missions is over. And that was never really the new Testament model of missions. Anyway, the new Testament model was always go and tell. Um, and a lot of a lot of writing and thinking is being done about the fact that the church in the West has to wake up to that, um, that we're not the minor, we're not the majority anymore. Um, and this assumption we have that, you know, the unchurched around us just haven't found the right church yet. They just haven't found the, the church that's doing the right thing yet. And if we just build it a certain way, then they're just going to you know come through our doors. That assumption is is. Uh, well, if it, if it ever was true, it's certainly not true anymore. Um, and I think we are a church that has done a lot of going and telling in sort of international missions, but we we really have to learn how to go and tell in a much more local localized way. And I think to our credit, there's a lot of voices and movements in our denomination right now that are that are trying to help local churches do that, do a better job of that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I agree. I uh, one of the this is one of the things I've really been. Uh, studying a lot too. So I'm in the process. I have a bunch of thoughts on my own little curriculum as well on the same kind of thing. That's kind of funny. I, I think the spirit's moving in a, in a way, helping churches see that we have to think about ministry differently. And, uh, and by that, I don't mean, um, you know, re- walking away from all of our historical roots of preaching and all of that, but but just thinking you mean, of how you we mean smoke machines and laser lights. That's what yeah, you mean, that's right? exactly yeah. what I mean. No, that's usually what people think, though, right? It's kind of funny when you say we got to think about doing ministry differently. People get nervous because they think, oh, you're going to be the church for those who don't go to church kind of a thing. Right. And I'm saying, no, I'm thinking the complete opposite of that is where we're the church that equips people to go out into their communities with the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. Because, like you said, um, people aren't coming into the church. They they have no desire. There, there's really no social credibility in going into a church right now. Actually, stepping into a church right now can get you looked down upon, right? You actually lose some social credibility by being a Christian anymore. And it's going to be increasingly so over the next, I think, five to 10 years. And so we really, um, any of the come to me kind of ministry they're going to fail. And I think we're already seeing that. I don't know. I mean, in my own church, um, those ministries that have been around are dying and, uh, and people are having a hard time with it in my church. The, the number of people are like, ah, we need to do outreach. We, we need to do better outreach because we're losing these outreach ministries. And I'm thinking they were never reaching anybody anyways. Um, really? I mean, not, and that's probably a little strong, but either way, most of the time they were, they were not reaching non-believers they weren't doing evangelistic growth they were a lot of times just bringing in other believers and so if we really want to share the gospel i've been trying to help my church see 
this kind of Kyperian idea that like you're bringing the gospel with you when you go to your workplace every day. And so not just be a Christian there, do that, but also speak like a Christian, act like a Christian, speak the gospel in, in that workplace or as you go to the grocery store, because that's where non-Christians are. And so uh, they're not coming into your church, so we need to go out and be there. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is I've, I've heard numerous pastors talking about this, and, the, and the, our denomination's pushing that as like churches start seeing you have to go out to them. Um, but one of my frustrations has been is as I've listened to a number of those presentations, they have said, well, you, we have to go out to them. And so that means hold a Bible study out in the community. And I'm thinking, uh, you, you're not taking it far enough. If people don't want to step into the doors of your church, they don't want to step into your Bible study in the coffee shop either. Like that's not that much better. It actually means like go to the coffee shop and talk to a non-believer there and uh and have a conversation with them build a relationship and then eventually share the gospel with them that's really i think where we need to start going as a church in general yeah yeah i agree i think you know most i I look at my church in particular and boy there are very few um in my church who on a daily basis in their work are not rubbing shoulders with many non-christians like that for me where it might take extra effort to actually, you know, get out of the Christian bubble and go be among non-Christians. I have to make deliberate changes to my week in order to make that kind of stuff happen. Um, for most of my congregation, they're, they're going out into places where they're surrounded by, by non-Christians. And I think, you know, step one is, is there anyone that I have had, you know, you know, if a, if a relationship can become anywhere from one to being really superficial acquaintances to 10 being really good friends, is there anybody in my life who's a non-Christian with whom I have a, a one, two, three kind of relationship and I could take a step to make that a four, five, six? Like, mm-hmm. could I invite this coworker? We always laugh and get along well when we're at the water cooler. Could I actually invite them over for dinner? Would their family come to my house for dinner? Could we say, hey, you want to grab lunch sometime and actually sit down? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's about establishing those relationships and recognize that if you, you're in it for the long haul, right? There's very few people who are sitting there on the edge of faith waiting for someone to just tell them what the gospel is so they can dive in. Um, I think for most people in our culture, um, they're, you're in for, a, you're in for a, an investment in a person's life to have the opportunity to, to share faith and actually um, by God's grace, be an instrument to, to bring them to faith. So. Yeah. Amen. And I think, uh, one of the conversations I had, this was, I don't know, well, quite a while ago, eight or nine years ago, I had, a uh, um, somebody say, just sit down right now and start writing down the interactions you have on a regular basis with non-believers. Because I was saying the same thing. I'm like, I'm a youth pastor. Like I'm always hanging around Christian kids or Christian, like I never have this opportunity to to interact with non-believers. And they said, no, just sit down and start writing down the places you go and the communities you're kind of involved in and uh, start writing them down and figure out where you're rubbing shoulders with non-Christians. And after I did that, it was like this massive light bulb where I went, wow, I'm actually spending quite a bit of time with non-Christians and I'm just not doing it intentionally. And they said, now pick one of those areas where you're engaging with a bunch of 
non-Christians and then just be intentional about how you go there instead of like, so maybe my, my normal way of acting was, oh, these people are kind of driving me crazy. And so I have to separate myself a little bit from them and, and stand off on the other side. They're like, no, show up there and start talking to people and building relationships with them. And then you just get pulled into that community and you're a part of it. And eventually opportunity arises where you can speak the gospel there. I mean, I just had this recently because a really great opportunity to speak the gospel is almost dying. And so you, <laughs> you come out of all of the stuff I did this last fall in COVID. And then now we're in these communities where there are non-Christians there and they get to say, what was that like? And how was that? And you get to talk about the peace I had because of, because of God watching over me and, and all of that, getting, getting to talk to my physical therapists as they were saying, like, I don't understand how you're healing so quickly. This doesn't make any sense. And I said, well, let me tell you about prayer and my God. And, uh, and a lot of great opportunities just came up naturally because we had just kind of implanted ourselves in places and then life happens and you can naturally talk about the gospel with people rather than walking up to some stranger on the street and saying, giving them, you know, the four spiritual laws or something like that. And so the way I listen to podcasts, Jason, is I tend to like, I'll be, I'll be binging for a while and then I'll take long breaks. And I just happened to take a break from this podcast must've been right when you got sick. So by the time I started listening again, you had been through that whole journey already and you were on, on the mend. And it was just like, wow, I, I can't believe that just happened while I was not listening to this podcast. But anyway, just to say uh, all of us who listen to this, were just thrilled with what God did and thrilled with you and your family. So that's, yeah, it was amazing. Oh, I'm thinking about it right now. Cause I, I'm going to do a chapel at our kids uh, Christian school tomorrow. Um, they wanted me to kind of recap where I was at and how God walked me through that for the school, because that Christian community uh, around the school, they, they really rallied around my family and helped care for us. And, and so um, they said, you should really come and talk to us because we kind of have been looking in, we've been walking with you through this. We haven't necessarily gotten all the closure that you and your family has. And so come talk to us about what God has been doing in your life. And uh, so it'll be a great opportunity tomorrow again, to, to be able to proclaim the gospel through how God carried me through all of that. And uh, like, I keep telling everybody I'm at a hundred percent right now, which they told me would take over a year to be back to a hundred percent. And they told me maybe never I would be back to a hundred percent and I'm back to where I was before I'm running three miles a day and biking a lot of miles and, and feeling really good about it. So it's been a miraculous healing of God for sure. Awesome. That's so good to hear. Yeah. So on that note, sorry, I'm taking, talking about my story and why I got you on here, but I, I just I get so excited about what God does in um, not just my own life, but but how he works in in our lives and in the life of our denomination. And so I guess I just want to turn the tables now and talk as we kind of start to come to the end of this podcast. Um, what do you think needs to happen um, in the Christian Reformed Church to see us to start heading in the right direction toward Reformation? Yeah, well, I so I think... You're holding to the historic Christian position on marriage and sexuality is is a necessary condition, but not necessarily a sufficient condition. I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be naive in assuming that you know if the if the Christian Reformed Church can actually get its bearings firmly rooted again and 
on these uh, on these questions that will just automatically start growing. Um, I think we 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 need to be mindful of some of the things that you and I have just been talking about in terms of the the call of the church. Um, but but it is, I think, a necessary condition, not necessarily a sufficient condition, but a necessary condition. Um, we're in a we're in a weird spot right now where I think we as a denomination have tried to maintain a, a really close relationship with each other as churches. I mean, we have said, you know, we are we're covenanting to live this close to each other. These three confessions, we're all going to abide by them and we're going to we're going to hold each other accountable to this degree. And we're going to we're going to live according to this church order. Um, but we haven't like for for a number of years, we really have not insisted on that to the degree that we say we do on paper and so we're kind of in a weird place where we say we're this united but we're actually not i mean some of the things i hear my own crc colleagues say about scripture about the confessions i think we're not actually bound together the way we say we are the way that everyone assumes we are um and i do think that 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 sort of falsity in a way of saying this is who we are but it's not really who we are I, I don't know how we can move forward in that and continue that and perpetuate that. Um, so some something significant needs to take place, um, and it won't all be <laughs> it won't all be roses and joy. It can be some really tough stuff, which is what you're famous for saying often on this podcast. That's right. Um, I, you know, going back to what you and I have already talked about, I think one of the biggest things that we as a the church in the West need to kind of make peace with is the fact that we're not the majority uh in this culture that our our call as a church our mission as a church isn't to try to fight for our culture to maintain the trappings of christianity um our call is to make disciples of jesus christ um and so i think you know we need to embrace the fact that uh, maybe especially in in ottawa and big cities in canada and probably big cities in the u.s God is bringing the nations to us through immigration. I mean, we think a lot about the fact that, so I, I can, you know, see a mosque out my bedroom window. And um, for most of the people who, I, like I talked to the, the imam there one time, and he told me that, uh, I forget how many countries, it was just incredible how many different countries were represented in that mosque. And most of them are coming from countries where the, the possibility of them becoming a Christian in that country were very very small the cost would have been incredible but now they're here like god's brought them here is the church going well hey look at these people who came from a culture where it might have been impossible for them to be a christian now they're in canada so to see those things as opportunities for us as a church to see those things as opportunities to not be so worried about losing our cultural place and in one way i want to say don't worry about maintaining your cultural place just worry about making disciples that's what the mission of the church is. Um, and if losing our cultural place actually puts us in a place uh, to do a better job of making disciples, so be it. Um, we have to be ready to live in that marginalized role without getting whiny about it, without getting despondent about it, without, you know, you know, political flailing and lashing and gnashing of teeth about it. Um, we just have to be the church whatever 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 happens in american culture whatever happens in canadian culture we just have to be the church we have to make disciples um in some ways i i wonder if 
the Canadian church might be a little bit ahead of the U.S. church in some of this mentality in that many of us are sort of done expecting our political leaders to hold our, our values for us or to uphold them. In fact, we're almost done expecting them to even tolerate our values. Mm-hmm. Um, and we as a church just have to say, that's not great. That's not going to be easy. But guess what? The church has a pretty storied history of surviving in cultures like this and actually doing pretty pretty well in cultures like this. And well doesn't mean easy, um, but it means the gospel still spreads. Disciples are still made. The gates of hell don't prevail. Um, so I think we, yeah, as we've been talking about, we we need to maintain or rediscover our missionary sent calling uh, here in, in North America. So learn some evangelism, serve your neighbors, be a warm and welcoming community. And, and I think that that will, I mean, those are, those are three. When you asked me to think about these things ahead of time, I thought, you know, those are three simple things. Learn some evangelism, serve your neighbors and be a warm and welcoming community. Um, yeah. yeah. And each one of those things really uh, flows out of discipleship, doesn't it? Right. I mean, absolutely. I mean, us starting to disciple our people to, to learn some a valid, a valid, evangelism learn some evangelism be a warm welcoming community you know get out there and uh, uh that all begins with us discipling people and then if we could see our people going out and then beginning to disciple others that re- i know it sounds so simple but it, it's, uh, we all know how difficult it is to actually disciple people but that is actually i, I agree with you our goal is not to have cultural prominence but actually the way to get there is just by simple discipleship of hearts and minds um, and slowly winning people. You, you never get cultural prominence through like top-down power. I don't think that's ever been the way of the gospel ever. It's always been a bottom-up discipleship, changing hearts, which change lives. That's what I tell my church. We change the gospel, changes hearts, which changes lives, which changes families, which changes societies, which changes cultures. I mean, that's the, that's the way the gospel comes up and brings influence. And if you, if you try to skip the changed hearts, um, it all becomes a show, and it all becomes whitewashed tombs, pit of vipers, is what what Jesus said. And so you have to start first with the changed hearts um, through the gospel. I wonder, Jason. I was hesitant to bring this up, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. You know, obviously in Canada, and any of us have been thinking a lot about the Trump phenomenon, right? And um, I just, I just heard um, Tim Keller make reference to three different models of of engagement with the culture. One is a very defensive model that tries to grab power and get back into a prominent position. The other is a very withdrawn model that says, "Oh, oh, the culture's going bad. Let's just circle the wagons and um, maybe stick our heads in the sand." And then the other is the is the compromise model, where we'll we need to start going along with it if we're gonna going to survive here and and none of those are the right model um but he's I, I wondered as i heard that was was the trump phenomenon a last ditch effort of the church saying hey wait a minute maybe we can have cultural prominence again look at this guy who's going to fight for us and articulate the things that we want to hear and and mistaking that perhaps with the mission of the church and going well that that'll help the church if we just have a president who will fight for the church. Um, and I want to go, well, I, I don't know. I, 
I, I think the mission of the church is to make disciples. And I, I don't know if what the president is saying or not saying is really, um, is really having an impact on that. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think there's a lot, I think some, I, I do say that I've talked to some people that probably they voted for Trump for those reasons as a last ditch effort for cultural power. Um, I did talk to a lot of people who voted for Trump that they were like, well, at least he's going to slow down the process of us going down a really bad road. Right. And, uh, and a new number of people voted for Trump for the reason of being, we just think abortion is the greatest evil that's ever happened in the history of our country. And he might be a path forward to, to helping get that ended or at least save the lives of many children. Right. And that was like the only reason they were voting for him. And so we can get into lots of conversations and yeah. we won't about whether that was right. But, but yeah, there, there were some, I think that were really wanting this cultural power of the church and, and it's so multifaceted because I do talk to people and say, yeah, ultimately we, we, we win the culture by winning hearts. And yet I do think, right. We do need to make some laws too. So we do need to fight for, for some top down power laws. We do need to say thou shalt not murder. Like, we can't just say, we'll just keep murdering everybody. We'll slowly work on changing hearts. Eventually it'll stop. No, you have to have laws, but ultimately the law is not good enough. Right. So even I keep telling people that with, okay, hot button, right. Roe versus Wade looks like it's possibly overturned and there's all this pressure going on. And, and I keep telling people that's a good win. Like babies will not be murdered. However, that's, that's just the beginning. Like the, the long-term game is us getting out there, still preaching the gospel and changing hearts um, so that, so that we're actually not just caring for these kids, but so these issues aren't happening in the first place. And so this, this is not the end of it. And I think where a lot of people fall short is they say the end goal is just getting the law changed. And I said, that was, that's the Pharisees. And Jesus had nothing good to say about the Pharisees. Um, and so that's not our end goal. Our end, we can, we can, that's step one in some instances, but step, the main goal is we get out there with the gospel to see hearts changed. And then that slowly works its way. Like Jesus said, like leaven through a lump of dough. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And and I should probably be clear. Um, not that we want to spend a lot of time here, but um, when I say Trump phenomenon, I don't, I don't necessarily mean those who just those who voted for him. I mean, more just the, the, mm. the uncritical enthusiasm of him as a president um, yeah. is what I was more thinking about. So I, I certainly understand why people voted for him. Yeah. But, but the uncritical, the church marrying themselves to him as if he's our, you know, our great, our great hope. Uh, that's more what I was puzzling over. Yeah. And there's probably, I would say um, on the ground. So I would say I have met some of my hardcore conservative uh, friends and relatives who were probably embraced the uncritical, uh, you know, uncritically embraced Trump and they were Christians. Um, but really most of the people I know. And so this is where like some of the cultural narratives that come out of like, well, 80% of evangelicals are just, you know, pro Trump. And I'm like, no, most of the people I know were like plugging their nose. Like, Oh man, I really don't want to, vote for this guy, but I don't really have an option, right? So most of the Christians that I know were actually saying, I wish the guy would just shut up. 
and stop talking and, and just do his job, right? Like he's, he's making a fool out of himself in our country. And so I, I knew a lot of Christians who were very critical about him. Um, but I, I get frustrated because I hear like my, my more progressive friends are like, all oh, the conservatives, they just think Trump is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I'm like, no, go talk to an actual conservative. And you would realize most of them are like, no, he's a jerk. We don't like him at all. But but he was better than the alternative or whatever. And so um, I don't think it's actually a, a clear picture of what's going on in the United States to say that, oh, a bunch of the Christians were uncritical of him. Um, but that's the narrative that has been kind of portrayed. And I keep trying to push back against that and say, I know a few who were, but probably the vast majority of the Christians I know that supported him um, were also very critical of him, but they they just didn't know have a better option at that point in time. So, well, I appreciate your perspective. I, I, well, it's, I don't know. I it wasn't wasn't on my radar screen to necessarily bring up the name Trump, no. but I did it. I opened that can anyway. Well, there you go. Well, it's a hot topic. Yeah, yeah. If it's a hot topic right now, and coming in, we've got another election coming up here in the United States, and and uh, you know, uh, I think one of my Canadian friends said man, you guys, your elections, it's like, it's like playoff football for you guys. It's a whole spectacle. Like it's, there's, there's brackets almost going on. It's crazy. You guys are nuts with it. I I like to watch just as a spectator, almost like I watch (laughs) pro football is watch the American elections. (laughs) Yeah. When I, uh, when I moved to Sarnia, there was a federal election, not that long after I moved there. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what? You guys just had a federal election? Like, what? when did that happen? How did that happen? There was a few signs in the street, and boom, it was over. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's a totally different political animal in the U.S. versus in Canada in terms of the, the election itself and the campaign yeah. leading up to it. Well, there's just build up and build up. I mean, we're just at a midterm election now, and there's all this crazy controversy and ads all over the place already um, for just a midterm election. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's wild here. Well, we got to wrap up. Do you have any final words for our, for our listeners, Craig? We've got pastors and we've got lay leaders and, and your average Joe on the street. Do you have any words for them to wrap up our podcast? Well, I should have saved something for this point. Shouldn't I have? Um, yeah, you know, I, I've just been so, there've been a lot of, a lot of pastors who've said some really uh, encouraging things on this podcast that have really helped me gain perspective. You know, I, I just keep thinking a lot about how the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church. Um, that the, the church has been through far more tumultuous times than, than anything that, that, that we're facing at the moment. Um, that God is a, a God who, who asks us to be faithful and delights in our faithfulness. Um, so yeah, just, just be faithful. That's it. Discern Amen. what faithfulness looks like and pray about it and walk in fellowship and faithfulness with Christ. Amen. Do you want to close us in prayer? Would love to. Father, it's such a a gift to get to entrust ourselves into your hands, into the hands of Christ. Lord, thank you for the Christian Reformed Church. Thank you for the the role that you have given us to play in this 
beautiful and much bigger body of believers all across the world and all throughout history. Lord, we long to be faithful. We long to be a church that brings great honor and glory to you. We long to see Christ exalted. Thank you so much for, uh, for faithful pastors and teachers. Thank you for faithful elders and deacons. Thank you for faithful lay leaders and church members. Lord, we, we certainly pray for the upcoming meeting of Synod. We pray for the, the blowing and clear leading of your Holy Spirit through that meeting. And we pray, Father, that your will be done, that your kingdom would come, that you would keep your church strong, that you would grow it, and that you would help us to, to be not afraid and to walk in faithfulness before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all we have for this week. Tune in later this week to hear our live updates from Synod. We're hoping to have some conversations with fellow delegates throughout our week at Synod to give you a behind-the-scenes look at what is going on. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.